Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome to Newsweek's Foreign Service. I'm Mirren Gidda. And I'm Josh Lowe. And each week we take a look at the big stories in the US and what they mean for the rest of the world. Mirren and I actually went on a march last week, um, not together, but together in spirit, marching <laughs> uh, arm in arm figuratively um, on the London branch of the Women's March, uh, which was uh, the protest that erupted around the globe in response to the inauguration of Donald Trump, someone who has said all sorts of sexist things, bo- boasted about sexual assault. Listeners of this podcast will be uh, familiar with all of that. The march was truly amazing. You know, we were waiting in Grosvenor Square by the American embassy and it was so packed out with so many, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of women protesting. I mean, we couldn't even move for about half an hour. And it was just so wonderful, I think, to see British women who won't really be affected by Donald Trump standing in solidarity with their American counterparts. And so that was a a march about what Trump might do. After a few days in office, he's already started doing some things which affect women. Um, And one particular one that we want to focus on today is his reinstatement of an 80s policy called the Global Gag Rule, uh, which is about denying US taxpayers' money to organisations around the world that promote abortion or that discuss abortion as an option uh, with their female clients. And it's important, you know, not to downplay how significant this is, because for a lot of these organisations, USAID makes up a huge chunk of their budget. So it's not just going to affect, you know, their ability to offer abortions, it's going to affect their ability to offer health care. And we're going to see, for example, that some organisations might not be able to afford to give out contracts receptors to prevent HIV. And women's rights organisations have estimated that the global gag rule could lead to thousands of unnecessary deaths. And of course, this particular move uh, could signal something about Trump's approach to reproductive rights in general, on which he said plenty. We know he took on an increasingly anti-abortion stance during the campaign. So that's probably enough from me and Mirren. Um, We've got a couple of great guests in today. Uh, Let's hear from them. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. My name is Sophie Walker. I'm the leader of the Women's Equality Party. I'm Fiorella Nash. I'm a part-time researcher and writer for the Society for the Protection of Unborn Children. And I'm a bioethicist specializing in life issues from a feminist perspective. 
So we're talking about the global gag rule that Trump has introduced. And just before we go anywhere else, here's his press secretary, Sean Spicer, explaining why he's done that and what the thinking behind it is. The president, it's no secret, has made himself made it very clear that he's a pro-life president. He wants to stand up for all Americans, including the unborn. And I think the reinstatement of this policy um, is not just something that echoes that value, but respects taxpayer funding as well. So what is the impact of this policy going to be? The impact of the, the global gag rule um, is that uh, not only will um, non-government organisations working abroad be unable to provide safe abortions, um, but they will also be un- unable to provide um, general contraceptive advice and general uh, sexual health care support because of the cut to their funding that is going to enforce them to basically reduce all of their services. Mary Stopes International has estimated it will be about a 20% cut, which means um, 6.5 unwanted pregnancies, um, about 2.1 million unsafe abortions, and the deaths of almost 22,000 women. Uh, This interesting, Sean Spicer's clip there talks about um, uh, Americans, but this isn't in Americans, this this is women. Um, uh, not that it would be okay if it was Americans, frankly. But what we are talking about here are women in some of the poorest parts of the world, uh, in developing countries, where rates of sexual violence are extraordinarily high, as are rates of HIV. Um, so this, some writers have 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 suggested, and I agree that this is this is neo-colonialism. This is imposing American. Uh, religion um, on women in some of the most uh, difficult uh, parts of the world. I'm afraid I take a completely different view. I would say it is neo-colonialism to impose abortion in developing countries. The fact is, the Mexico City policy, um, it's not a new policy. It's over 30 years old. It was first established by Ronald Reagan. And it's a bit of a, a political ping pong. The Democrats rescind it. The the um, Republicans reinstated. It is, in fact, in tune with the views of the overwhelming majority of people in developing countries, particularly sub-Saharan Africa, where over 80% of countries are very passionately opposed to abortion, to changing the law on abortion, but also among the population, the overwhelming majority oppose abortion. So, you know, the white man's benevolence can feel like the black woman's interference, you know, this is the real neo-colonialism. We're imposing an ideology at the cost of so many other issues. You know, we're looking at a, a world where one in eight adults are illiterate, most of them in developing countries. Shouldn't the funding be going into education? Most of those are women, where 16,000 babies, 16,000 infants die every day from preventable diseases. You can't talk about reproductive rights if you're a five-year-old in Uganda who's never going to grow up. What also needs to be remembered is, um, while you're right, Fiorella, that it's sort of ping-ponged with Democrats rescinding it and Republicans reinstating it, Trump has massively expanded it. So um, the, the figures are that it's going to affect 9.5 billion US dollars, whereas in the past it only affected $575 million. And that's because in the past, the global gag rule only referred to money that was set aside for reproductive health care. Mm-hmm. And he's expanded it no, to I, I realise this, that it has ex- expanded to, um, to many other income streams and many, many other departments. And I, I, but yeah. I just wanted to, to put it to you. I mean, 
what do you say to, to Marie Stopes's figures? Because it's very stark, you know, 21,700 women dying. Well, I would say for a start, those claims are quite unsubstantiated. And I was talking to an NGO in, um, in Nigeria just yesterday, and they were saying, those figures are plucked out of the air. How can you prove something that hasn't happened? You know, these, these figures... You can base it on previous... You can base it on previous history, actually, because when you go back and you look at what happened... Uh, underneath, um, I think it, uh, when it was Reagan who first introduced it and then Bush that then again brought it back. Um, the patterns are very clear and the spike in uh, unwanted um, abortions and unsafe, uh, sorry, unwanted pregnancies and, and unsafe abortions is significant. I also think uh, this we run the risk here of denying um, experts um, uh, their, uh, their due. I know, I know that this, under Trump there is, a, there is a real push towards a, a, a suspicion of experts, but would I this think be, in would this, this case be... it's really fair to say that Mary Stopes International uh, know what they're talking about. Is this Mary Stopes International who were suspended from performing abortions in this country because they were not taking due care of women? Is this Mary That's Stopes? a completely different issue. No, I don't see it's got how nothing it... to do with no, their I don't ability see how to it's a different. How, no, how is it a different issue that organisations like this that aren't even taking care of women in their own country are being counted as experts looking after women in other countries. The point is it's it's not just Marie Stopes, but it's organisations that are providing um, contraceptives to prevent HIV, for example, and organisations that are working to, uh, not to defeat, but to prevent, you know, Zika and malaria. So it's just the fact that these organisations, which do a lot more than just, you know, perform abortions, they do so much more, are going to lose huge chunks of their funding? Well, I'm all in favour of preventing the Zika virus. I'm all in favour of preventing malaria. But for millions of people who do not want their taxpayers' money spent ending life... That's just that's not a compromise that anyone's going to be prepared to make. You know, they don't have to perform abortions. But you know, this other good work they're doing, no one says it's not good work. It's not controversial to want to put an end to malaria. Why not give women those choices while we work to eradicate those diseases? I don't see why you couldn't do both. What I suppose the question? argument was going to be that, you know, if funding is not... Uh, is, is diverted away from the area of abortion, maybe it can be focused on some other issues. I mean, what would you what would you say to that? I think we have got to really sort of come back to the core issue here, which is that um, equality for women cannot happen until women have got control over their own bodies. Um, this is an absolutely core reason why uh, millions and millions of women marched over the weekend, why there has been such concern about the arrival of the Donald Trump administration. And it's interesting because um, I find this personally very interesting because I, <laughs> I, uh, when I was growing up, my, my mother, I grew up in Scotland, my mother was a, a member of the local group of the women's liberation movement. And um, she and her um, co-workers opened a shop in Glasgow in the 1970s um, for women to be able to um, find out about abortions and to find out about sexual health care. Um, and um, the shop was picketed every day. Um, it was extremely difficult uh, for women to actually come th- get through and get that information. Um, my mum gave uh, our home phone number uh, to the organisers. It went on the bottom of the leaflet that was given out to, to women seeking information. Our phone would go in the middle of the night, you know, extremely distressed young women on the phone. And the information that my mother was able to give them was of um, the only nearest clinic, which um, was in Birmingham. Now, here we are in 2017, and we are still having to discuss uh, this very, very basic um, right. And I think that um, what, what, what 
what Donald Trump's administration is seeking to do um, is to curtail women's wider participation in society and in the economy. This is we have to be really clear about what is going on here because I think so long as women are unable to have control over their own bodies, they are unable to control um, their choices around education and around uh, our work. And that is precisely what this U.S. administration wants. They are seeking to redraw uh, the roles of women. And it is extremely worrying. I would say that's a a terrible expression of a a sense of failure. You know, we shouldn't be linking abortion in with these things in in that way. The the whole reason why pro-life feminism is really on the up, particularly in the States, I've noticed a lot more younger women getting involved in it, is that they're saying, no, this is this is not the way forward. We want our education. We want our right to equality. You know, we want to be able to have careers, but we're not prepared to sacrifice the lives of the unborn to do so. And a society that encourages abortion or sees it as the only alternative is one that is failing women. It shouldn't be a situation where you have to choose between a career and a baby. It shouldn't be a situation where you have to choose between your safety and having a baby. You know, you mentioned sexual violence earlier. Abortion doesn't stop a rapist. You know, the... No, but you're saying is that a rapist up. then takes over the rest of that woman's life without leave it without her being able to have choices. How afterwards. is that? The, no, I'm sorry, but how is that the case? And I think that what you're saying here is concerning because also you're presenting something which is simply not the case. Public attitudes to abortion are very much pro-choice. When you look at what's going on in Britain, and when you look more widely around Western democracies, it's it's absolutely the case. When you look, for example, what happened in in Poland, uh, there were moves to really make draconian uh, uh, moves to limit abortions, and you know Pol- Polish women took to the streets and halted that. So I really think it's it's inappropriate to be presenting this as as, as something other than it than that it is when we talk about public awareness. Just because uh, we're starting with just a focus on the U.S., I wanted to bring it back to that um, because Trump's um, expansion and reinstatement of the global gag rule is his first action mm. against women's reproductive productive rights. And there is a lot of worry that he'll go further that, you know, because he's got at least one supreme choice pick and possibly more, Mm. that he might even look to overturning something like Roe v. Wade. I'd be interested in hearing what the Women's Equality Party is worried about, like what more he can do to affect women's reproductive rights. Well, you've just said it. I mean, that's that that is a huge concern for us. And I think um, what Donald Trump shows is that we must always be vigilant um, about um, the the that progress in women's fundamental rights can always be rolled back. There is this idea that progress is linear, and it most certainly isn't. Um, I think it's also particularly dangerous because the US is the world's biggest exporter of ideas. Um, and having in charge a, a misogynist, uh, a sexist, uh, a man who took office, uh, fought the, his whole campaign with allegations of sexual violence in the double digits against him mm. uh, is is normalizing this idea that, that women's bodies are, are men's to control. And that is extremely worrying. Flora, is there anything that you're worried about about Trump? Or would you perhaps take issue with the idea that restricting abortion rights is the same as controlling women's bodies? Um, I would take issue with that because I think, you know, the way the world is changing, we're learning more and more about prenatal development. We're learning more about the development of the unborn baby. And for 
those of us who are involved with pro-life feminism, there's simply no way of getting around the fact that when you have an abortion, you are ending a human life. There is simply no way of getting around that. And neither side really debate that anymore. I mean, can I, I'm sorry, can I just jump in? Obviously, not everyone sees it as a human life. We just need to acknowledge that everyone's views on when life begins I was speaking, within, I was speaking within the movement that you know, right. we're getting, you know, there's more and more of an understanding that it is a human life you know, from conception. I might go on debates where the person on the opposition would say, yeah, it's a human life, but the question is, when is it okay to kill? You know, the, the debate's actually moved on. It's changed. The whole tenor of it has changed. And so it's not unreasonable to say that in fighting a just war to liberate women, you can't support policies that subjugate others. Are we in danger of doing to the most vulnerable in society what was done to us? This kind of um, uh, language doesn't doesn't get us anywhere. What, what we really need to look at is um, that uh, the fetus grows inside a woman's body. Um, and women should have control over their bodies. Um, and it is a very, very basic, fundamental human right um, that women should have that choice. When you look at the figures, um, for example, from the Guttmacher Institute, something like 91% of abortions um, happen in the first uh, 13 weeks. I think 1.3 happen after 21. Um, and I think that this is almost, almost taking us off in a direction that we don't need to go in because fundamentally the question is should women have the same freedom as men to design and control their lives if you believe yes then you have got to be uh, uh, you you have got to take the same stance that the women's equality party takes which is that uh, women should have full reproductive rights and fiorella i just wanted to ask you something because you uh, define as a pro-life feminist. Mm. Um, I don't know if you remember, um, but when Trump signs the global gag rule, do you remember that picture? It was him with, I think, seven, six, seven yeah. men around him. Mm. I mean, as a feminist, how did you feel about that? Because the optics of that picture were awful. Yeah. It was appalling. And I, you know, I don't know how deliberate it was, but there, you, know, you had a group of men signing a piece of paper. You know, where were the women? There are plenty of women. The March for Life was mostly female. Um, there were, in fact, pro-life feminists marching on the Women's March. They were banned, but they came anyway because they said, sorry, you've got to actually listen to us too. Um, so yeah, there are plenty of women who are not happy with the Trump administration who are, however, completely pro-life and are very much with him on this subject. But within the area of reproductive mm. rights more broadly then, you know, the contraception or, or anything like that, are there things that you're concerned about that, that you're worried that Trump might enact that you would rather we were focusing on? Well, I think, you know... <sighs> He's not been in office long. I have, I'm waiting with um, a certain amount of trepidation like the rest of us about where things are going to go. There are issues I feel are not being um, addressed properly either in the States or in this country, which I don't believe the administration will take as seriously as it should. For example, gendercide, I think, is a major issue that um, certainly is afflicting um, many countries in the world, um, but is also, we know, happening in Britain, is happening in the States. You know, I haven't heard anything said about that. You know, I would like that to be more of an issue that, that's really at the fore. And I think the, the big worry with, with Trump's administration for people who are pro-choice in particular is that, and Sophie, you kind of made this point, but we could be going back to, to, the, to the bad, to the dark days when women couldn't access decent reproductive health care and we saw women endangering their own health, you know, sometimes to perform abortions at home. I mean, is that something that worries Spuck about, you know, women putting their health at risk? Because as, as we know... If a woman wants an abortion, she will get it, you know, one way or another. Well, there are a number of things I would say to that. First of all, um, people who oppose abortion oppose abortion 
in all situations. They don't want to see it going underground. They don't want to see anyone getting hurt. They don't want to see it happening. Um, so we should try to avoid making a, a false dichotomy between, as it were, legal and illegal in that sense. I mean, obviously, there are, there are other issues at stake here. Um, but also, you, know, you talk about going back to the bad old days. Nobody wants to go back to any bad old days. You know, women have equality. They have access to higher education. You know, they have the chance of careers of financial independence. They're not going to be you know, stigmatised if they're, you know, pregnant out of wedlock and as things were in the past. Um, you know, we've there's been a huge social change. We're fully in favour of making it easier for women who are pregnant to carry their babies to term, not to find themselves in positions where they feel they don't have a choice. It was very interesting to hear you say that women have equality. Um, and I think um, uh, this is where I would have to, yet again, uh, very much disagree with you. Uh, women do not have equality. And part of the reason they don't have equality is that they don't have reproductive rights. When we look at the, 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 the gender gap around the world, and you can take the World Economic uh, Forum on this, um, it's around about 59%. Uh, Two-thirds of the world's um, illiterate are, are women because uh, they're, they're, they're not seen to have, um, uh, you know, it's not seen to be important to educate women. In this country alone, we see regular maternity and pregnancy discrimination against women because we don't value care. In the UK or around the world, we don't value care. We don't value carers. We don't invest in social care. Um, you know, our Chancellor here time and time again invests in physical infrastructure rather than social infrastructure. And, and it's precisely that context of women's inequality that makes um, uh, reproductive rights so very important because it's simply not true that women can choose to have babies and continue uh, uh, with equal choices in education and equal choices in work. Having a, a baby, being pregnant, is the most disruptive thing that can happen to a woman's life. It disrupts her body, it disrupts her education, it disrupts her, her, her employment, it disrupts her entire family life. And in those circumstances, and against those massive structural barriers, um, it is only right and proper that women should be able to have control over when they make those decisions. To look more widely at the debate, we mentioned earlier the Women's March, um, which was in America, but was also all around the world. Um, and if we look at Europe, the debate in Europe, on the one hand, there are all sorts of voices calling for, well, we're having a whole debate like the one we just had about uh, sex uh, education and consent and so on. At the same time, we've got um, some kind of key elections coming up in which there are um, significant new um, right-wing parties, many of which are um, also calling for... Uh, abortion restrictions. They're not necessarily quite as emboldened to do so as Trump, but if you look in Germany, the alternative for Germany, um, right-wing party over there is quite anti-abortion. In Poland, we've already mentioned, there has been uh, significant attempts to restrict access to abortion. In France, the, the mainstream conservative candidate, Francois Fillon, who's the most likely winner, um, is uh, not 100% anti-abortion, but is sort of uh, critical of it in, in some ways. Um, do we think that Europe... Um, is going to sort of follow where Trump has led on this issue? I think there's a real danger of that happening. And it's it's an interesting one. I, I um, attended a meeting in Brussels um, in December um, that was convened by um, Soraya Post, the MEP for the Feminist Initiative, and Gudrun Schoeman, who is the leader of that party. And there were 
feminist politicians from all through Europe and uh, feminist organisations. And it was really startling and stark, actually. We went around the room and people talked about their experiences. And there were women there from, from Germany and from Italy, um, but also from Hungary, from Croatia, from Slovenia. And again and again, they were telling this story of the rolling back of reproductive rights also, you know, as part of a move to push women back into, uh, into the homes and out of the education systems and out of, out of the workplace. Uh, the, the corresponding rise of religion um, in, in those societies. Um, and there was a real, real worry that um, we are looking at uh, a flourishing of, of right-wing populism that has as a, as a core policy... Um, uh, maintaining uh, women as second-class citizens. The good thing is, however, I think that there are there there is a there is a, a recognition of this, and there is now a, a movement gathering. As I said earlier, there is a we can be positive about this because when when the threat is presented as obviously and clearly as it has been with with Donald Trump and with this, com this the, the rise the corresponding rise in in Europe. We are able to, to to move the conversation on. We don't have to be arguing anymore about whether misogyny exists or whether sexism exists or whether uh, inequality of, for women exists. It's very very clear and it's out there and it makes it a much easier target to 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 push back against. I mean, I think we all worry about the rise of of um, far right groups, and I think there are many unfortunate factors that are, are causing that, and we need to be very vigilant um, in this country as well as in, uh, in the rest of Europe. I don't think we should ever be complacent it's true you've had the big women's marches next day day after the women's march there was a massive march for life where tens of thousands of people mostly women mostly young people marched for life um, the same occurred in France as a big march for life um, here in the UK um, I think in March um, you're getting this happening all over Europe but what's most interesting is the people who are um, campaigning uh, for pro-life laws are from quite a broad spectrum politically. Um, they're from left, they're from right, they're from, you know, they're from secular backgrounds, they're from different religious groups. Um, they no longer really fit into any kind of a box. And my hope would be that, you know, we could be looking forward to maybe a slightly more compassionate kind of... Uh, change in Europe that is both respectful to women and respectful to babies. I mean, I I compassionate means giving people choices. I was just going to say, I slightly I think compassionate means letting people live as well. Uh, well, um, precisely, and letting people live means letting people free to live as they would like to live. I would say I, I disagree somewhat with your point that they're from, you know, all across the political spectrum, mm -hmm. because what we're seeing as sort of for, for the main is that it's as Josh mentioned it's it's these right wing um, parties who are expressing these views and it's it's very much part of as Sophie was kind of saying about having control over women's bodies and you know basically treating women as as sort of second class citizens I don't think we're seeing it so much from the liberal parties well the fact is there are left wing pro life groups but they tend to be squeezed out they tend not to be given a voice for example Democrats for Life is a very large pro-life group. Um, they, you know, are very anti-Trump, um, but they are in favour of, uh, of pro-life laws. So there are left-wing groups that are sort of struggling to make their voices heard. And I feel, you know, for the debate to move forward, there does have to be given equal weight to groups across the political spectrum, or we are just going to get people being squeezed into extremes, which 
it's not good for anybody. So I think that's about all we've got time for. Um, thanks so much to both our guests for coming in. Um, thanks to everyone at home for listening. Uh, thanks to our producer, Jordan Saville, who records and edits uh, Newsweek's Foreign Service. You can catch us every week on Acast, SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, don't forget to like us, subscribe to us and all of that jazz. And if you can't wait that long, go to newsweek.com or pick up a copy of Newsweek. Thanks. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.